All right, you ready? Ready. All right, well, this is Empires of the Future on a blistering hot day <laughs> here in Evansville. And I went and played uh, a little golf this, well, this morning. Like We started at like 11 o'clock. And I think I almost killed my grandfather. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's unbelievably hot, unbelievably humid. Our, my kids were like, when is this over? Right. Well, look at that number on that. That's number six. Yep. You've got nine holes. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. so there you go. But part three, did you ever play part three golf course? No, I don't. Well, they're I've, great because they're really golfed. short. Yeah. And if you're not very good at golf, like the holes are really short. So that's, Yeah, that's good. I would, I would want yeah. to start there if I did It's golf. like it's a step above miniature golf. That's good. Yeah. It's good to know. I've golfed once, and I was like, wow, hitting this ball consistently at all, even just hitting it, it's really hard. So yeah. I haven't, I've never dug down into that. Yeah. So before we start, though, I'll just make notice of the, the weird statue armor behind us. Right. Uh, this is 14th century Spanish armor mm-hmm. um, here at the church, and we wanted to put that into our, our shot here. Uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit alarming when you walk into this room in the dark. Yeah. You see this mass, I think six foot. I don't know, maybe that six foot, maybe a little less than six foot. Can't right. remember. You should at least pan up so they can see the, the head for a moment here. Uh, let me that? see if I can uh, see if I can if I can pan a little bit. But uh, maybe while we're while we're talking, maybe I can do that. Okay. Um, but anyways, uh, I wanted to call him Max uh, Maximus Aurelius. From the Gladiator mm-hmm. movie, Maximus Decimus Meridius. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know what did he say? Uh, General of the North. You know, yeah. uh, supporter of Marcus Aurelius, yeah. uh, and uh, his wife murdered, right. son murdered, right, right. and he'll get his revenge either yeah, in this yeah. life or the life to come. Great movie. Uh, but anyways, uh, that is behind us, and uh, yeah, I, I think it fits really well in here. Yeah, uh, I'm big yeah fan and this of it. was donated by a church member, is that right? Yes, who uh, they were, his family were missionaries, IMB missionaries in Spain. Right. And it was a gift given to his father. Wow. Um, and it had been sitting in their, their, his parents' attic for in Texas for long time. Wow. Um, I think it was set up in the attic, which is, I guess is where you put armor, right? Right. From Spain that you don't right. want in your house. Something like six or seven hundred years old, right? Yeah. Okay. So it fits really well in a church office. Well, and you're, and office. you're working on a library in here too, is that right? That's, I mean, like we've got, we've got some shelves we need to build. We're, we're, our book supply, our amount of books are now Far, there's too many books for the shelves, so we need to build some more. So, yeah, the plan is to build a little bit of library. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyways, uh, I wanted to make notice of that. Maybe we'll see more of the statue in podcast episodes to come. Sure. Uh, uh, so, anyways, uh, do you like the new location? I find it a bit comfortable sitting yeah. here and uh, instead of being on those stools in there. But uh, so, we're going to talk about the SBC convention. Right. We're both of our churches are part of the SBC. Uh, our, our church is obviously a plant, um, so we're kind of a, a newbie to the church uh, to the convention. But I've grown up in the SBC my whole life. Um, never been to a convention actually. Really? Never been. Yeah. Um, you've probably been to several. I would assume. I've been to just a few. Just a few, yeah. Um, but you didn't go to this past one, right? I did not. Okay, but I you. Had, but I was actually uh, at youth camp, which is uh, a fitting place for a youth minister to be. But yes, it, just, it turned out. That but you, Dale, did send messengers to we the did. convention. Okay, we did, and they voted in the uh, 
fairly contentious presidential yeah. race. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting that we're we've moved uh, in front of a suit of armor because it was a, a a bit of a it wasn't as much of a fight as they talked about it was going to be. It was pretty well set up that it was going to be very contentious. Um, so yeah, this is a, a topic of interest to Southern Baptists. Um, the the topic that we're going to talk about about the, the nature of fundamentalism uh, and the nature of evangelicalism, I think, is important. Uh, to, it should be important to everyone, and we're going to talk about that because of the, the claims to knowledge, the claims uh, to knowledge, uh, and then what, what you do based upon what you think you know. Uh, and so that, that applies. Uh, there are a lot of claims today of, you know, this is how it is, and therefore this is the good fight that I will fight because of it, not just among Christians. Um, so it has that element to it, but we are telling a story in some ways today about what just happened at the Southern Baptist Convention at their annual meeting, which took place in Nashville just a few weeks ago. And, of course, they didn't have a meeting last year because right. of COVID, so it's right. kind of a build that, you know, that was kind of building with it, without having a meeting in 2020. It was all kind of fell in this past year, right. which I guess the, the view is that this is probably the most... I don't, it was the was it the when it comes to how many people actually went to the convention was it it was a large group that went down for this particular convention because of the important matters that were being discussed and voted upon. I guess the last one that was similar was in eighty four when when the liberals of the SBC really kind of like it was like their their last stand right I guess their Waterloo yeah. uh, where they were trying to take back over the SBC from the. Uh, kind of conservative re- resurgence, and uh, Charles Stanley, I believe, won the presidency. And this yeah. is in '84, uh, and that was a large group of people that went down. That was an important presidential, you know, election. This was a very similar one, I was supposed. Right? Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds right. Makes sense. One thing that always happens with uh, the annual meeting is that. You know, look, sometimes it's in Phoenix, Arizona, and there are fewer Baptists right. out there, you know. Right, that's uh, they, true. They had it in Las Vegas one year, and there are fewer Baptists out there. So happening in Nashville, right. it is the perfect storm for a whole lot of Baptist people to show up. Right. When you didn't have a convention meeting the previous year. That's a good point. Issues that had been uh, coming up only grew more contentious through COVID, and then it's centrally located in Nashville, and a lot of people can yeah. drive there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so based off, I mean, you, you, even though you were not there, your pastor, other staff yeah, of the church, other ministers, uh, yeah. So you, they were able, maybe. You, obviously, you asked, how did it go? Yep. You know, um, so from their vantage point, like, what was their kind of? You know, that's a great question because one, um, it is very easy by looking out online to see. Anger, uh, you know how this is. The uh, the social media metrics drive outrage, and that's what that's what drives engagement. So they right. they amplify outrage, and certainly that worked in regards. It, it, I'm certainly not blaming them because plenty of Baptists have been too subject to outrage, um, <laughs> but it looked like there was just ready to be a, a brouhaha. Right. It looked like there was just going to be okay fight, crowd fighting in the <laughs> aisles. And that was not anywhere near the atmosphere. It was a jovial atmosphere. You know, look, for, for pastors, I mean, you know, look, for even uh, secondary staff members uh, like me, a lot of secondary staff members don't go. Right. It, it is generally uh, a place where pastors reconnect. 
in yes. addition to a place where kind of SBC politics happen. Sure. And so it kind of has those two things going on. And so I'm always glad. Uh, I think senior pastors don't have friends often enough, so I'm glad for them to see each other at these annual meetings. Um, and then I don't have too much of an interest in general in Baptist politics. Okay. And so that stuff yeah. all goes on uh, yeah. in that way. Um, but it was not nearly so contentious as was expected mo- for the most part of jovial, even in the... Uh, <laughs> the, the thing that's always told about annual meetings, which is hilarious and true, is that a lot of it feels like an enormous uh, Baptist business meeting where Robert's <laughs> rules of order are fully in vogue and, and known and, and felt by everyone. And, and that's, forgotten. And that's certainly true. Uh, sir, you missed the rule. Right. right, right. <laughs> that, that stuff happens. That you're yeah. like, oh, we'll have a motion. Oh, you got, that motion is, is died, denied. It's tabled. All this talk. Um, so that does happen that way. And uh, that is not exciting. It's a, a whole bunch of people in a room carrying that on. Uh, it is a little bit uh, of an interesting spectacle that it can work. People can, there can be order if you follow all this procedure. Um, but then that's obviously not generally that exciting. It can be contentious when people propose, you know, an amendment to the motion and then there's going to be a vote. And uh, But even in that, if you uh, have kept up with this at all, you've seen clips that people are lighthearted about even motions and these sorts of things because... Um, as I think most people can sense, uh, the internet is giving us the wrong view about each other in general. Uh, one of the things I'm saddest about is that uh, people that I've known in kind of like past seasons of my life uh, who have moved off and maybe taken a different life path and maybe represent you know, some different uh, sort of idea about uh, kind of politics or anything, uh, that all that we have of each other in a lot of ways is, say, Facebook or something, because yeah. the personal relationship is what life is built around. And these social media, while maybe good for some things, are not uh, connecting us to each other that well. And, and it is a testament. The, the, the atmosphere being much better than was expected is a testament that real life uh, people are able to sort through things a lot better than we, we are doing through the internet. The internet is not uh, helping our relationships. That, that's really encouraging to hear. I, I, I was, uh, since I'm on sabbatical, I've been going to different churches. I went to uh, Pleasant Valley Community Church in Owensboro, which is an SBC church, and uh, asked their pastor, uh, who had went to the convention, you know, what his thoughts were, and he had the same testimony. That was, I thought that was very encouraging, because sure. basically uh, my kind of, and I know we're going to talk about this article, and, and so I don't want to delay that anymore, but most of my uh, just kind of education about the lead-up to this past convention was actually kind of Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Wall Street Journal did a, which, you know, I'm a subscriber to the newspaper, it was a front page and then full back page uh, article. The way the Wall Street Journal works is that there's one article in the in the in that particular day paper that will take up the majority of space. Mm-hmm. And so it'll it'll article start on the front page and maybe present like two paragraphs, but then be a full page on like towards the back. That was that was the story. So yeah. it was the biggest story yeah. um, basically on that particular day's paper. I thought it was pretty interesting. I read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then CNN also had a pretty large article about what was the lead up, to different candidates. It's interesting to watch how secular or non-religious media talk about the different view, where, where on the spectrum they are. It's really interesting because they, they always use like liberal or they use moderate or they use conservative. Mm-hmm. They use these terminologies more from a, and they, but they don't really 
look at it from a theological standpoint because that's not where they're familiar as much with. They only kind of use those terminology in a more political aspect. And so you really don't have a good indication. Like I knew very little about the Eric Littenton, Litton, what's his last name? The guy who won. Ed Litton. Litton. Uh, I didn't know much about him at all. Yeah. Uh, And so that was my first kind of introduction to him Mm -hmm. was through reading about him in the Wall Street Journal, Mm -hmm. not because I knew about him from other means uh, through kind of Baptist life. So anyways, that was kind of my education leading up to the convention. Uh, I still don't know much about him in particular, Mm -hmm. but it is encouraging to hear kind of more firsthand takes on it. Yeah, that's a really good introduction uh, to this article. Uh, What you just said, though, is that one of the problems with assessing what is happening in uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, and also in, say, uh, the world at large, is that to say that you are uh, theologically liberal is a foundationally different thing than to say that you are politically liberal. Mm-hmm. And to say that you are theologically conservative is uh, a different thing than to say you are politically conservative if you know what you even mean by those words, because that's a, a different thing than to say, oh, this is conservative. Yeah. In a lot of ways, what's happening in our uh, culture that's really dangerous is that uh, if you are on the right, then you will say conservative of anything that you like. Right. <laughs> and if you are uh, a progressive, then you will say that, well, if it's uh, conservative, anything I don't like. And if it's if it's progressive, it's anything I do like. These terms are emptied of meaning, and that is probably that is the enemy we want to identify today. Is that we just want to do better than that? Yes. Theologically conservative means something. Theologically liberal means, means something. something. Politically conservative means something, and politically liberal means something. And those are probably the four terms that we really want to drive today, because those four terms being so undefined right. is causing. So many problems. I was in a conversation with someone. uh, It was a good conversation, but I was getting slightly frustrated. Um, Not like like really angry, but just slightly frustrated because I found that they were using the word conservative liberal while in the wrong context. Mm -hmm. And and in this particular conversation, I'm like, I think those words are misleading because I know how using the word liberal. I know what you're meaning. You're using it as a negative term. What really the words you should use is narrow mm-hmm. and more more broad, yeah. and and so we were having this discussion of like, well, narrow to him was seen as that's the conservative right path, and a more broad is liberal. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, it's, well, what you're doing though is you're calling me a liberal, and I know what you mean by that terminology, and and usually that word is used in a negative implications, but you. I'm not liberal. I'm just broad. I'm more broad on a particular issue than you are, but that doesn't make me liberal. And I think those words are kind of thrown out as kind of like, oh, this is what you are. And then you kind of create this. I don't think he was trying to do that, but I think it typically happens in conversations, theologically or political, that if you have a viewpoint on a particular issue that is a bit more broad um, or that's a bit different than the more general view from a where you have, well, this is the right conservative view. This is the liberal bad view. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. Like, I think you just kind of lumped me into a larger group when, on one particular issue, and I don't think that's fair. Right. So the term conservative comes from the desire to conserve, preserve, protect certain institutions. For instance, uh, the family. I mean, we can just make this as simple as possible by saying uh, 
conservatism is about the desire to protect the family, for instance, uh, other institutions too, but the family would be most central, right. to say, look, the family is foundational to all of civilization. Right. If the family is lost, civilization lost. will be lost. Right. Uh, and so that is, that is the center of what conservatism is, while then liberalism is about openness mm-hmm. to let's, let's restructure Maybe the family isn't central. Maybe we could replace the family mm-hmm. with something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a, that's a, an oversimplified, but that's a great starting point to say conservatism is about, about conserving and protecting certain institutions, mm-hmm. the family being foremost, while liberalism is more open mm-hmm. uh, to remaking, changing. And, you know, for instance, what is the primary institution that uh, political liberals, this is political conservatism and political liberalism, by the way, that, uh, just for clarity's sake. Well, for the last hundred years, I mean, FDR is a great example of the person who said, I think that the government, uh, the federal government in particular, can replace uh, and take over a lot of the responsibilities uh, that I see as needed for civilization to improve right. and, and progress. Uh, right. You know, FDR was a Democratic, a progressive, uh, very progressive. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, since, coming out since of, his career was so long, it's hard to, yes. for us to keep in mind. He, very progressive. He won four terms, but completed three terms. Yeah, right. yeah. And you have someone who, at that particular point, after the Depression, you have families, a, a large percentage of families weren't able to take care of themselves the way that they were in the past, and so the government came in to say, all right, we're going to provide safety nets, like Social Security. We're going to provide other systems and welfare and provide uh, infrastructure jobs for mm-hmm. people. Um, and so because uh, farmers and other kind of rural particular workers were unable to to work and make money and take care of their families, so the government st- stepped in at a particular time, and then there's disagreements of like, okay, uh, now should that be waned off now? Because that only it was started for a particular time and place, and now... Have we now gone away for the need for the government? But yet now we've definitely entered an age where government is now, because of the coronavirus, are now giving money away and giving out a lot of stimulus money. Right. And, and they're the one providing this infrastructure bills, again, to provide more jobs for people. Uh, and so you have the government coming out. Oh, no, no, no. We're, we'll be the ones that provide uh, aid. We'll take care of the people. We can't rely on businesses or corporations or even families themselves to take care of themselves. We're going we're gonna to provide a hand yeah. in this. And this whole FDR story is a very useful story for our times because even I, it seemed to uh, some the surprise of people who have known Joe Biden for years, he seems to uh, align in yes. a fair amount of ways with FDR's vision and, mm-hmm. and wanting to dramatically expand uh, the federal government. Uh, and, and, and this is a moment mm-hmm. uh, where the federal government already had vast, uh, vastly more power than in the past because of uh, coronavirus. And so it's a, it's a story that is worthwhile to know about uh, in that regard. Yeah, I think that's a good, a good example of the difference between conservatives and liberals. Um, and, and we're not saying that you, you could be someone sitting here listening and go, well, I do agree that the government does need to help people. Mm-hmm. And... And so you can be more more liberal in that view. That doesn't make you an evil person, and it doesn't. You could be a Christian and hold that view, right? And so don't fall into. There's a difference, as you were saying, between political conservative liberals and theological conservative right. liberals, because sometimes, and that's one of the problems, as we intertwine these two things, these two different contexts, 
with the two terms and say that if you're conservative politically, then you must be conservative theologically, or if you're liberal politically, then you have to be liberal theologically, right. and that's an unfortunate thing. Um, now, and so I think people can, can in some ways, uh, can be more liberal politically in certain issues, mm. while at the same time being very conservative theologically, right? So, But too often we let these streams kind of cross one another and it becomes very confusing and it's hard to show harmony and love towards a brother or sister in Christ if we get those things intertwined. Right. Um, so, uh, and, and I think it's, you know, I never, maybe you have, I never really thought of labeling kind of the conservative Baptist network, which that term, I don't think that they use that term at all in this article, right? He doesn't use... CBN at all, right? I think it might have come up once. Well, it wasn't like a, a huge thing, right. right? He's more talking about fundamentalists. And, mm-hmm. But that's really the label he kind of, even though he doesn't use CBN a lot, well, that's kind of, I mean, you can read through the article and kind of get the idea that's who he's kind of labeling as fundamentalist. I never really used that label. or Because th- when we think about fundamentalists, we think about, you know, the 20th century, the moderates and the fundamentalists mm-hmm. and... And you do see, like, you know, independent Baptists and kind of KGV only and long mm-hmm. skirts, that kind of view as the fundamentalist Baptists. But, you know, and some people in this particular area get confused and think that's what Southern Baptist is, it's a bunch of fundamentalists, which is just not the truth. But I didn't really think to use the terminology fundamentalist to describe kind of this large group in the SPC. Um, that are part of the conservative Baptist network who really, the big divide that really was being fought was between evangelicals and... I never really thought to think of it as those two particular terms. Yeah, I don't know if that was something that when you read this, you're like, oh, I don't really think I thought of it that way. Or did you... it It was different for me when I read that. Like, I didn't think... To label it with that particular... Well, let's, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's bring it in uh, the way he kind of sure. frames it, and that'll give us a way for uh, to kind of bring everybody into the ideas that he's presenting. So here's how he starts. Uh, quote, this is if, David French. I'm sorry, yes. This is David French. Uh, I, don't know, the, I don't know who David French is. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, he was in the JAG Corps. He comes out of the military world okay. as a lawyer. Okay. So a very unique sort of life path in that... Um, it, it had a sort of a military feel about him, but he was a lawyer, so he served overseas, and he was in dangerous situations, but he was always there because, I mean, the military is an entire apparatus. They sure. have to have everybody. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Have every kind of person. Got nurses and doctors. Yeah, police. Yeah, and they have own society. They have everything. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. he served as a, as a jag And this is like a blog that he, that he, yeah, he writes, writes for. Uh, and you must follow it because... Yeah, I yeah. This came through on Twitter, I believe. Oh, okay, okay. I follow okay. him on Twitter. Okay. Um, I've never he, heard he, of him before. Yeah. Really? That's, yeah. This is good. He's a useful voice because he, he's a lawyer, and a lot of that comes... He has a lawyer's kind of perspective right, on things. You know, he's talked right. a lot about critical race theory, and a lot of what he's saying is, like, you can't outlaw people talking about it. And it's like, well, sh- true. Right. And that's... Uh, that That is his perspective on a lot of things. He speaks as a lawyer in a I lot of cases. Just in this regard, uh, there's a few different things that seem to me really useful. So here's how he starts. Uh, quote, if I had to summarize a complicated, important week at the Southern Baptist Convention's meeting in a single sentence, it would be this. In a series of contentious confrontations, the nation's largest Protestant denomination confirmed that it is for now more evangelical than fundamentalist. And that outcome is good news for the church and the nation. So like, here's the judge. Here's my thesis statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does have uh, <laughs> that about this it. This is my argument. They may argue it, yeah. Um, 
And so uh, he carries on, uh, how did exit polls corrupt our definitions? When most Americans think of the term evangelical, they're not thinking so much as a set of theological presuppositions, but rather of the subgroup of Americans who respond yes to an exit poll question, a very imprecise exit poll question. Are you a white evangelical or a white born-again Christian? And so this is another time where these ideas are getting mixed. Right. When you see on the news, here is what's happening with evangelicals. Right. Where did they get that? They got that by standing outside right. of voting right. uh Exit polling polls. places yeah. and, and and they. That's how they do. Exit do polls. you yeah. call yourself a Christian, a born again Christian? Uh, sure. How did you vote? Right. What do you? This is self-identified, right? Tied to politics, right. driven by politics. Right. I mean, laced with politics, right? And this is not about theology for the news outlets, uh, and, and so that that's important to know about, just because. Um, there's going to continue to be uh, talk of the evangelical church. Yeah. You know, look, all signs... Well, it actually came up recently, I'm sorry, uh, and you know, they're already running for president in Iowa. And it was mentioned in the article, it's a large evangelical uh, voting block in Iowa right. compared to New Hampshire, which is mostly Catholic, right? right? Two big early primary states. Iowa is like the evangelical uh, kind of large... Like, all right. If you can get the evangelical voters as a Republican candidate, you're going to win Iowa, right? I and mean, that's right. kind of the argument, the discussion. Right, and you might go, up. well, what, what's the problem there? Well, here's the problem. Uh, one, uh, this ties into the American story that in general, uh, the press didn't know about evangelicals, born-again Christians until Jimmy Carter. Right. And then two... <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, and, 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 and we were around. Yes. It's just that <laughs> yes. it didn't seem important until Jimmy Carter. But right. then two... In a lot of cases, what ends up happening is you are either, to, to the media, you are either a Roman Catholic or an evangelical. evangelical right. Uh, to, to some degree, uh, and mainline Protestants uh, waning. Uh, again, we, we talked about that in a recent podcast, that mainline Protestantism is not, not doing well. But most people uh, would either, you know, to, to the media, they're just like, look, we have to categorize you either as Roman Catholic or evangelical, right. born again. And, and self-identification means, look, these folks not, might not have stepped into church once in the last year. Maybe they were there once or twice. Right. So that Christianity is not central to their identity. Right. It's just they were asked, they said they were, and that's good enough for the news organization. Hey, Russell Moore said when President Trump was running in 2016 about evangelical voters supporting Donald Trump, and he said, I think he mentioned, he goes, yeah, how people define themselves as evangelical, they went to VBS when they were kids, mm -hmm. you know, and so they raised their hands, like, right. what, in the 70s, 80s, right. 90s, and said, uh, yeah, I want to be a Christian, because grandma took them to VBS at her church, uh, they never stepped back into the church when they were an adult, but they considered themselves born again, right? because what other, other factors, right, they are Republican, they like guns, whatever issues you want to throw out as kind of your bedrock conservative views, they kind of plant that or ground that in born-again Christian or born-again or evangelical Christian that, oh, see, they're, right, they're evangelical Christian, okay, therefore they all vote Republican or they right. all, right. this is how they think when uh, we're not even, they're not even throwing out the view. I, I don't know if you've ever kind of read the League and Ayers State of Theology they do every year, mm -hmm. where basically it's a, it's a, it's a dive into how do people really view like some important theological uh, doctrines 
And we find out that like less than 30% actually uh, people who claim to be evangelical actually believe you can be your salvation is only by the blood of Christ. Right. You find out they go, yeah, yeah, I think you have to like, I don't know, like do good works or whatever. Right. I mean, that's what people who consider themselves evangelical. I mean, that's that by definition makes you unevangelical when you right. say that your salvation is by works. Right. So I think, unfortunately, I mean, we're asking political institutions or like Gallup polls to define, I mean, they're not equipped to go, yeah, you call yourself a born Christian, but how often do you read the Bible? Like, they're not, right. they don't care about that. Right. But we, but we tend to get kind of lumped in, and we all kind of get lumped into this kind of, oh, you're an evangelical. That means all these different things. Right, and unless we just paint the media as being the sole uh, drivers of this bad idea, the weakness in evangelicalism of saying, hey, come forward, raise your hand, now you're a Christian forever, no matter yeah. what happens after yeah. this, we're doing that wrong. Right, in a lot right. Of courts, and we have been doing right. that wrong for a long right. time. And, and as two people who consider ourselves Christians, we're working on that. We yeah. want to do better. Sure, that. sure. Uh, that the, Jesus is the definer of what a Christian is, and Jesus did not define that as being okay. I mean, he talks about the four soils. He says, look, there's some people who are going to be choked out, and that's no good. I mean, you're out. If you, if the worries of this world and deceitfulness of wealth choke you out, there's no life in you. Uh, so Jesus defines what a Christian is, and at the end of the day, those are the two driving factors behind the confusion, is that uh, the media is not schooled nor seems to be interested in learning, uh, clarity about this issue, and the weakness within evangelicalism that a lot of times people have had some sort of experience with it, and then they go, mm-hmm. I guess I'm in. They told yeah. me I was in yeah. back then, and yeah. I've never been told I was out, yeah. you know, uh, is a problem. Uh, and so, uh, he carries on, uh, quote, thus the word evangelical became primarily a political category, mm-hmm. obscuring the historical meaning of the term and eradicating a distinction that is still deeply salient within American Christianity, the cultural theological, and political difference between evangelicalism and fundamentalism. Now, uh, I know you said that um, this divide that he is making, I am interested in the fact that fundamentalism to me, uh, the the issue that I see both in the past and in the present with, with kind of the category that he's using in fundamentalism is often this group seems to define themselves by what they're against. Right not what they're for. Right. And that, look, in, in, what does the term fundamentalism mean? It, it, basically, it means you believe the fundamentals of the Christian faith, which you and right. I both do. Right. So theologically, we are fundamentalists. And, and, I, and say that, say like, for instance, the bodily resurrection of Christ, we both believe yes. in it, yeah. which is a fundamental Christian right. doctrine. Right. And theologically, you and I are both fundamentalists. That's what the word means. But this issue here fundamentalism, uh, as, as he is using it, he's talking about uh, the, the fact that these, this group of people sees the world as black and white, they're evil people, and the evil people are whoever's opposing me. Right. Uh, that I am the de- definer of who are the bad people. Right. And uh, that's not... Uh, they draw lines in the sand and right. refuse to cross over those lines by any means. They will not... Compromise. They will not be open to debates. They have driven that sand. They have turned their back and said, either with us or against us. Right. Right. I mean, that's kind of its basically the use of that term. I don't know. I mean, really, the word fundamentalist became a prominent 
word in the kind of Christian church in America was then again the 20th century and right kind of modernist fundamentalist fundamentalist division that happened in the early part of the 20th century and you had the kind of where you saw like liberalism and liberal theology how it had so much an influence in the American church and how it started to wane and move in one direction this happened in the SBC as well and you saw the fundamentalists go we, y'all are like compromising on things that are wrong the Bible is clearly clear on these issues and we're drawing a line, and either you're gonna come, and we're gonna we're gonna recorrect, or uh, we're gonna be we're gonna disfellowship, right? right. And that's pretty much uh, kind of what happened, and which ended up creating like independent Baptists and some of the other kind of more stricter um, denominations in America. And but then again, like that the word fundamentalist, you're right. I mean, fun, the fundamental beliefs of a particular faith. But it's always kind of thrown out in a negative connotation. Like, you never want to be labeled a fundamentalist, sure. right? I mean, like, what do they, they say? Like, uh, I hate to throw this in here, but they, they say, like, well, terrorists, uh, Islamic terrorists, they're fundamentalists in the faith, in their Islamic faith, right? Mm-hmm. They're willing to, to, to go to the, to the, to the they're, they're drawing lines in the sand, and if you are on the other side, they're willing to kill you yeah. right um some would argue even like the kkk were a part of a fundamentalist groups right yeah. and so you get in these ideas of of how that terminology has been used over the histories and in, in different times you're like oh i don't want to be sure. a fundamentalist um that's why when i when he used that term i'm like oh, it's such a negative and i don't know how you even how often it's ever used in a more positive way it, it just kind of well, creates a sense of like okay this group is fundamentalist right. and i don't know if that was a fair description. It is interesting. Yeah. I mean, again, David French is a lawyer. Right. So the way uh, he uses terminology, uh, I think, in a legal sense is much more his approach. But, I mean, this is a great time now for us to then de- define theological sure. conver- conservatism and yeah. theological liberalism. So then yeah. theological conservatism would mean a commitment to the teachings of the Bible as they plainly read. Right. The bodily resurrection of right. Christ a virgin, before that, a virgin birth of Christ, a sinless Jesus Christ, many other doctrines. But uh, the reason this is important is because a major movement through, uh, actually we talked about this uh, podcast probably four or five times back, what uh, German liberalism, German theological liberalism arises out of Germany, mostly 1700, 1800s, which is basically we have to reinterpret uh, the whole, uh, especially the New Testament, so that we get the supernaturalism out right. of there. Demystifying, uh, yeah. yeah. Demystify, this mm-hmm. is not... It, it may be looking like it says that Jesus rose from the dead, but that's like a, a wonderful idea. Right. Anti-scientific. Yeah, that, anyone it who doesn't mean he rose yeah. from the dead. It means in our minds he could rise right, from the dead. Like, right, okay, look, right, right. Uh, that is an entirely new approach that was taken to the Bible that caught hold in some circles and is now trickled down right. to... Ideas that, well, Christianity is whatever you make it. You know, we don't have to be tied so strictly to Scripture. The yeah. idea of Jesus is what is useful. And it's like, okay, anything like... I think you can begin to get uh, a sense of what this is. No, look, uh, a theological conservatism means the Scripture tells us what's going on in regard to... And it tells us directly, I mean, what's going on in regard to who Jesus is, what Christianity is, what needs to happen in our hearts. I mean, this is all the way down to... We need to repent of our sins because we believe in a literal return of Christ. Right. Um, but then uh, what you can do with the German liberalism is to go, well, the return of Christ, that could mean utopia on earth. I mean, it, right. these ideas become very malleable 
and uh, you move away from any sort of strict interpretation of scripture, it can become, in, in a lot of ways, whatever you want it to mean. Right. And so then that is the difference between theological conservatism and a theological liberalism. And I think what's even happening now, though, and is you have, you know, I agree with everything you just said, and I think most of the people, everyone that probably went to that convention agreed on those things. Mm-hmm. It gets into the issue of, all right, like, where... Is it okay to, if there's some, if there's some um, learning here that the Bible doesn't necessarily describe or provide details, is it okay to, to glean from that source of, of learning and study and research to also help in these different areas, right, of, of ministry, of, of um, caring for people. I think that's where, you know, as someone who, who got a doctorate in missiology, one of the things that missiologists get kind of poo-pooed on is context, contextualization. People go, oh, okay, here you go with your contextualization. You just want to water down the gospel, right? You just want to like, you don't want to just give people the four points and the Bible verses. Right. You, you want to provide some other other areas and you want to provide some other content. You want to make sure, you want to know the culture. You want to study the culture. Sure. You want to read and, and understand and do interviews with the culture and then share the gospel so that the people of that culture can understand it. And people go, oh, you contextualization, you watered the gospel, you watered the gospel. And you're like, well, I don't think we've watered the gospel down. I just think the view is, is that the culture is different than the culture you come from. And if you don't understand that culture, you can say all that you want to say, but they're not going to understand a word you're saying. What we want them to do is be able to understand the message we're giving them. Right. And that's a part of sharing the gospel. And But people are, oh, you're just watering down, watering down. And I think that uh, in a lot of other areas of ministry, that that type of view of, when I use that terminology of narrow and broad, sometimes that, that view is, oh, you're just too broad. You're not narrow enough on Scripture, and that Scripture is the definitive uh, source for, for everything, and you shouldn't go anywhere else. You're just too broad. And so therefore the term gets thrown out, you're a liberal. Mm-hmm. And we're conservative because we're more narrow on Scripture. And I find that that right there is like we can agree on all the fundamentals that you just threw out there. But then now we've presented an issue where there's now a right and left on the spectrum. And I think that's where you're seeing some division. Like when we get into like we, we talked about this, you know, a year or so ago about Calvinism and Arminianism, which is a big issue in the SPC. If you're a Calvinist you know, in some people's eyes, you're liberal, mm-hmm. you know, we're the conservatives. And that's where you kind of get into the way people are throwing out these terminologies that to present some division, but yet we agree on all the basics right. of the faith, right. but yet we're finding areas of massive disagreement. And then that becomes the sole focus of our conversations and debates, not on what we agree upon, but what we so differ on. Mm-hmm. And then we throw out these kind of, t- these, these horrible terms that just, that are just so either just that's negative. This is positive, and then there's no way of being able to have like-mindedness, have harmony, and move and cooperate together. Yeah. Um. So the way this is all unfolded today is pretty is interesting and good because what is happening in this is that this mixture of politics with religion uh-huh. is what is driving the strife and what. I want to be uh, the most direct about untangling that there seem to be some underlying political connotations 
to what is going on. Uh, there, this next election looks like it's going to be as contentious as any election oh, yes. uh, we have had. And uh, in, in a lot of ways, uh, the story that does in some ways begin with Jimmy Carter, the first time that the country kind of went, oh, wow, apparently these evangelicals can be a voting block. Not only, everybody knows now that evangelicals can, evangelicals can be that. I am concerned that political forces go, we would love for you to be a solid voting block. Right. And that they're working behind the scenes to make that happen. Like, we don't even, want to have, don't even have to, like, court your vote. Right. We, yeah. we would love for you to be so certain that we can begin to move on and, you know, we, we want to consolidate power. Uh, and and uh, what, what is the, the quote that you see very often if uh, if the church gets in bed uh, with politics uh it's the church who ends up pregnant. Uh, it's yes. just not a good mix. Yeah, uh, and I think that that was one of the even some of the issues that some of the SPC leaders had with like Russell Moore, especially because mm-hmm. his his tactics, um, like he had a from what I've read and stuff, he had a fairly good relationship with President Obama. Did not have a relationship with President Trump, and was and said publicly that he wouldn't vote for him because of these Ephesians. I think there was a group amongst pastors in the SBC who saw, oh, see, now we're not going to be aligned with the proper people right. and institutions in the Republican Party that are fighting, uh, that are kind of our uh, flag bearers for some of our major issues, like abortion, pro-life issues, uh, right. religious liberty, and these type of things. By, by, by not aligning yourself with President Trump or the Republican Party at large, we're not going. They're not going to fight for our issues the way that that we want them to. And so we need to kind of cuddle up to these this party or these politicians or these institutions so that they can be our kind of knights in shining armor, mm-hmm. right? And I think, like, as you're using your metaphor of like getting in bed with politics, I think there is a view that if we don't align ourselves with these powers, then we're our issues, we're just not going to succeed in our issues. And those are important. Right. Uh, and, and I think there is a kind of, uh, you know, uh, we don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but there is, there is an ecclesiology, sorry, I mean, eschatology, yeah, you're getting mixed up with it. But there's an eschatology that is, it's a part of this. It's like, well, we're going to lose this country, we're going to lose our standing in this right. country if we don't align ourselves with the proper people who will fight for our issues. And if, because if these issues fail and we continue to slide in a particular direction, then it's, we're, there's going to be more corruption, more sin, more corruption, more sin. The country will become more godless yeah. and the church will become more persecuted and that won't be good for us, and so we need to continue to move forward. Right, and so the the central problem that you and I would have with that storyline of, oh, we're going to lose power, is that, look, we don't have to worry about power, right. okay? Right. Uh, our, our Savior will return. Whenever he sees fit to take power directly, he will take it. In the meantime, what he says is, you need to serve the powerless. He says, I mean, you're bringing up eschatology. He says, look. You'll know if you yeah. serve me because if at the end you serve the hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison, you served me. You served me. The kingdom is for the meek, right. those who keep their power under control and are not power hungry anymore, but who in right. fact court the favor of people that nobody cares about, widows and orphans, and and preaches the good news to the poor. Says, look, there's a God who does care for you. Mm-hmm. And and that that kingdom has to go forward. That kingdom is near, and Jesus says, this is the kingdom that... You'll preach the good news to everyone, and when it's time, don't worry, I'll return. And 
it is of great concern that the church would grasp at power that we have here temporarily through politics and lose sight of the kingdom. Right. Uh, the kingdom is what we have been told to to steward. He's, he's, Jesus says the kingdom is already building. That's what you have keys not to. Not yet been yeah. consummated. Right. And that is what we are as Christians to be focused on, not maintaining temporal power through political means. Yes. Uh, that is that is a major concern uh, and, and will continue to be a concern, it looks like, for the foreseeable future as somehow... Uh, this group. I mean, look. When uh, when American history got going, evangelicals were not wanted in this country in a lot of ways. That's right. Uh, and now we find ourselves at the center of politics in some ways. And look, we we are Christians should vote. Mm-hmm. But at every election, we should look at the issues and go. Well, uh, uh, one layer of my identity is as a citizen. I want to be a good citizen, so I will vote. But that ought to be a live vote. You should not be beholden to any political party, right. because we have a king. We serve a king first, uh, and then wherever you find your allegiance to any party, has got to be way down the line. Right. Uh, that's that's where we find ourselves on this issue. Yeah, it'd be it'd be really good. It'd be really it would be an amazing praise the Lord type of thing. Is if the next year or so, I heard that you know the text. I think it's the Texas abortion law is going to be a major uh, Supreme Court uh, case coming up in their yeah. next docket. Man, if, if the Supreme Court can rule uh, in favor of the Texas law, which starts to kind of limit abortion rights in some of these states, I mean, that's going to be... So I think it's just kind of like... I, I think possibly evangelical voters, I mean, especially when it comes to, like, bedrock believers in Christ Jesus, this is the big issue, right? Mm-hmm. This brings us to the polls. And right. I know it drives the the rest of the country crazy that all evangelicals are one vote, one issue voters. But it, 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 when it comes about life and death, I mean, yeah, it is an issue. And, and we do vote uh, on that particular issue. Um, and, and, and I think it's because it's such a major issue, that is what kind of drives us and what we vote for, man, if there, if, if that was something that is not always just thrown out every four years, that's the issue. You got to go to the polls. If you don't go to the polls, more babies are going to die, that kind of viewpoint and, and not being able to, to talk as, as, as Christians and just discuss other issues of politicalness that maybe do affect us that we can talk about, that we can discuss, that maybe we can have some disagreements and things like that, uh, and not always have to talk about pro-life issues or pro-choice issues constantly and always be voting on those particular issues. It'd be such a, a blessing, uh, I think, between our kind of our political discussions and, and discourse uh, going forward. But um, um, so... Talking more again, I, I think you know Eric Linton is considered like the moderate, right? And Ed, he's, Ed Linton, yes. Linton, and he and he, I could be wrong, Eric Ed Linton, and and the view I think he has a view that he wants to kind of, from what I've read, is that he he wants to kind of remove politics as this defining characteristic of the SBC. Um, I think that is, inc- I don't know what your feelings are. That I find that encouraging and good. Yep. Uh, I don't know if that'll actually happen or be possible? Well, it, it, one thing from the convention itself is that, uh, you know, there's so much discussion about this during a presidential cycle that you can feel like, wow, I guess our churches have been a- taken over by politics. But look, yeah. that's the interest at the news story. That is not right. the case. Right. Um, and so uh, the one thing to say is we should be driven 
by the kingdom. The second thing to say is don't be captive to any uh, any political ideology. Uh, Jesus' program is a political ideology. He's the king, right. and That's we right. follow him. We are disciples of him That's right. uh, before anything else, any other commitments. And so that is fundamental and key uh, that keeps you from making all these commitments are like, well, we gotta, whatever, we're gonna own the liberals no matter what. Right. Like, that's not, right. listen, uh, we have, uh, our enemies are not flesh and blood. I mean, think about right. that, that Christian teaching alone. Our, it says, the scripture says our enemies are principalities and powers, dark forces, demons, and, and yep. th- that we should not demonize any human being right. because human beings are downstream in, in the greater scope of what is happening spiritually. Uh, there are greater powers. We, we live in a cosmos that is saturated with spiritual beings right. and that is i mean one of the things that makes christianity weird but it's there right. and so uh we cannot be captivated by politics first because i mean not only because it's not first it's so clearly temporary right it, 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 this moment and and you can see i mean our age is so filled uh with moments that pass that you know two years ago i was just listening to a podcast on the way here talking about how Two years ago, the only thing you heard about was the Me Too movement. And look, we're, we're against yeah. women being taken advantage of. But while that was the only thing that mattered two years ago, that is not a topic of discussion nope. now. Because the world is very bad at actually taking care of people. Right. <laughs> the world does a great job of picking up on stories, beating it like a dead horse, and then going, I guess people are tired of hearing about that issue and let's let's just act like it's not a problem anymore. Right, we've solved it. We can't do that. Right. I right. mean, and that is that is fundamentally one of the things that Jesus is doing, saying, "Listen, naturally, people only care about people that are like them. I want you to be defined by the fact that you care for people who have nothing to offer you." Right. Uh, th- that he teaches that way of love. Right. And that way, lo- love being action, love being sacrifice. That is a wholly different program than all of these different movements that we see. And it's a program that's never going to be popular. Yep. There's never going to be someone who just goes, hey, everybody, I know you all want to deny yourself, take up your cross, and join my political movement. Right. I mean, he was not successful in that regard. He got killed right. because he was a troublemaker in that way. But he says that the meek will inherit the earth. Those who keep their power under control, those not those who show off. Yep. And so that's who we follow. Uh, so I, I do hope that we don't become beholden to any uh, political party. And I do hope that we follow uh, any leader who says, Jesus first, politics down Man. the line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That is the way that it ought to be. Not because, look, as citizens, we should vote. Yeah. As, citizen, as a citizen, you should. It's just never what you believe will ultimately change the world. Right. It will not fix the world. We've had politics. Uh, we've had politics for centuries. We've had political theory. We've had very intelligent people. But humanity is filled with problems. We create yep. more problems every generation. And the world itself is broken. That's right. the source of our problems. Right. And, our cult- and our community is going to be a mess as a byproduct of sin, mm-hmm. the church, while yes, having its own sinful issues because it's we're still in the flesh, yet we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit because of Christ Jesus and our faith in Christ. We are p- planted in the world and planted in the mess, and so 
the, the world will always, and our communities will always struggle with sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, I think our focus has to be the human soul um, and women, men, children, old, black, white, wherever and whoever and wherever background they come from, whatever sins that they've committed in the past and will commit, we have to care about the person and the soul and the heart and not get so focused on, you know, changing culture or changing societies at this high level when it it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what does work, and I think it's beautiful when the church... By its by, uh, I think in its own kind of ignorance, but under the power of the Holy Spirit, will have people come into their midst that they probably would never interact with on the streets or wherever. But if they come into the church or they have some interaction with them, and their immediate response, hopefully because they're adult, the Holy Spirit is to like love and to reach out because they want them to to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And politics aren't even brought in the picture. They don't care what, if they're a Republican or a Democrat. They don't care who they voted for. They don't mm-hmm. care what their viewpoint on is pro-life or pro-choice. They don't care. Right. And the midst of, all they care about is the soul. And I think that's at its essence what the church and the people of Christians should be about. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe sometimes these events like the convention and, and we get in these discussions about conservative, liberal, and uh, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, whatever it is, we kind of like, we have these discussions, but then we find out maybe in the midst of our own churches and our midst of our own communities and, and bodies that we really don't, like really isn't our focus. Like we don't really stay up at night praying about any of that stuff. Um, at the end of the day, what truly matters is, is faithfulness to Christ, faithfulness to his word and loving our neighbor as mm-hmm. ourselves. Yeah. So, um, there's plenty more, I guess, we could talk about in this particular. I know that you, in particular, were were interested in this um, this part of. I can't remember exactly where in this article, but you were talking about something earlier before we started that you found really interesting about something that he identified. I can't remember what it was. I don't know if you remember it from. Uh, I don't know if it's on your sheet. Um, Maybe uh, we talked about it earlier, and I, I can't remember exactly uh, what it was. I thought I saw it on your sheet, but maybe maybe I didn't. Uh, I can't remember either. So I guess we there just we are. <laughs> <laughs> keep going. Um, what else in this article do you want to discuss? Or? No, I think we've covered... Uh, a lot of it. At the end of the day, what uh, my sense about this is that we have got to be uh, a people who have the priorities that Jesus has, that the kingdom and the mission, you know, look, he tells, he tells disciples, hey, go and make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. These have to be our priorities. If we become lax in these priorities, we will pick up other priorities that are not Jesus' priorities. They're right. not kingdom or mission. Right. And then we will be off track. And mm-hmm. that is a major concern. What did you? I do remember you. You were you were kind of interested in this kind of thing. I grew up in the fundamentalism. I converted evangelicals. That that experience kind of really helped him. I guess he had to kind of experience this fundamentalist uh, kind of culture to oh. truly understand. I know you talked about that yes. earlier, and you you thought that was interesting. I didn't know if you wanted to to talk more about yeah, that because I knew that was something of, you kind of 
landed on or really put a, a marker in. Right. He does uh, have a really useful insight that he said he, he grew up in a fundamentalist church. And by that, he means that you don't question uh, the, the pastor, for instance. Right. You, right. Don't, uh, you don't question uh, if this is the interpretation of a passage, you don't, you don't get to question that. Right. Um, and he said that has enabled him to understand a lot of our moment on the right, QAnon is a great example of yes. that, that that impulse of just going, well, look, I'm right, and you can either agree with my interpretation of events, or you could be wrong. You could be right, uh, right. Or, yeah. And then the same on the far right. left, which is basically, look, uh, the CRT is the only way to see reality. Right. Do you agree with that? Uh, or you're critical racist. race theory is right. <laughs> right. Do you agree with that? Or you're racist. You're racist. You know, it's yeah, like that is what you it. do in in a sort of. Uh, fundamentalist mindset yeah. of, of there are two places you can land. You can agree with what I'm about to say or you can be not not just wrong. Yeah. You can be wrong and evil. Right. <laughs> Maybe that is kind of one of the reasons why when I when I first read this, I'm like, wow, using the word fundamentalist, that's such a strong word. I don't know if I would have used that terminology. But I guess because I've never been in a fundamentalist right. church or group right. to be able to even use that terminology or understanding to exactly the danger of it or, or some of the issues with it, some of the blind spots, I suppose, is a better way to say it, with that. But you're right, he's, you're, you're right and he's right. Is There is a liberal fundamentalism that yeah. says if you're not a part of the, the woke culture, if you're not part of that, everything that CRT stand, says and, 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 and communicates is if you don't believe that all of it is, is right and we should use this as the defining like right. pusher of society, then you're racist, right? right? While I think one of the issues with the SPC in particular is, is even if you think it's helpful in understanding some of these issues, it's helpful in maybe understanding right, racial reconciliation type of things, it's a helpful source, but anywhere that it contradicts from Scripture, we're going to eliminate some people say uh-uh it doesn't even need to be even brought into the discussion we need to burn it in the fire yeah. uh it has no worth no value whatsoever let's just basically say that it doesn't exist right. and anyone that uses it in any type of way in, in a positive way we will kind of just yeah. push out of and basically label them liberal mm-hmm. progressive right that's where i think I don't, this I think maybe there is some conflict because it's like if there are that's why I brought this up earlier if there are things that are helpful in understanding culture understanding issues that are in our communities that we want to preach the gospel to we want to minister to we understand it we think there's some good things here we think there's some things that contradict scripture here so therefore we're going to either if we're in a conversation with someone who does believe that it's all good we're going to say no these are things are that we do agree with. We disagree with these things. There's why we disagree with them in a, in a, in a debate, in a conversation. Um, we're not just going to say, oh, since you brought out CRT, everything about it is wrong, bad, good. I'm not going right, to listen to it. Right. That's where I think maybe the bigger divide is maybe in the SBC. Yeah, and I mean, in some ways, this is epistemology. This is how do you know things. Right. And uh, what happened with Resolution 9 a couple of years ago, one of the other drivers of the high attendance is a couple of years ago at the annual meeting, uh, Resolution 9 was adopted, which basically said if you're going to use critical race theory, it should only be used subordinate to Scripture. If it ever disagrees with Scripture, then it's out. So, Well, here's what I think got confusing. You know, look, uh, as Baptists, we believe people have uh, the authority to seek the truth 
and that they ought to seek to interpret the scripture. And then we check each other. This is what it means that we are priests to one another, that we say to each other, look, we need each other, but you should believe your brothers and sisters and, and, and learn how to walk as a Christian in a community of Christians, as again, Jesus prescribed. Um, And some people seem to think when you identify specifically critical race theory and say that can be used as a subordinate, what are you saying you can use that as a subordinate tool? Look, as Baptists, we believe anything can be used as a subordinate tool. We don't get to tell people what they can and can't read. We do say, look, if you're going to be a Christian, that ought to mean that the scripture is your governing authority over what is happening in your life. It is the way to your manner. Scripture tells you what Jesus yes, wants. Right. You cannot divide Jesus from Scripture. Jesus is the Word because Jesus is the Word of God, spoken, given. Right. And the Scripture is also unbroken. Right. And so that they are tied together. Right. Jesus is the Word. Jesus and the Word of God are tied, and you should not try to divide these things. Um, and so uh, that that is an issue that that is happening there. And and look, I see how that. It is a confusing issue. Look, epistemology is a branch of philosophy that is complicated. Uh, we're small things. How, how do we know what we know? But in this regard, it is clear as a Christian, what are you committing to? You're committing to the scripture. Yes. You know, that's, this is the, and, and, and yes, I mean, for anyone who's listening who might be Roman Catholic, yeah, we're Protestant. We don't subscribe to a magisterium. We believe right. that the scripture is right. the sole authority for faith and practice. But we do believe, as one of the things David French is saying is that uh, as an evangelical, we believe that knowledge can be gained through other means and and depending on how you define it yes all truth is god's truth um but again this is all under the umbrella of scripture is the guiding force for how we know about who god is and what he wants from us and those sorts of things yeah and i have gotten some discussions on this and i think that's always been the contention right there it's like you know which i think it's interesting i mean you've i mean like paul in act 17 in his discussions at the Areopagus, he uses Greek philosophy. Right. He says, I agree with them on yeah. these things. Mm-hmm. You agree on these things. By the way, these, these views, these statements are all pointing to the ultimate truth, which is in Christ and which right. is in God and his right. holy word. And you have been ignorant of this yeah. your entire... You agree. It said that there's this unknown God. You have these statements that he's given us life and right. basically determined where we go in our space. I agree with you. We realize you're, you're 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 agreeing with these views ignorantly. They're actually underneath the the one true God that you can actually know and believe. Um, and so this there has been. I mean, we see that Paul uses this. Why not? We have a tradition of this of basically like what is out there that is that is true, that is good that we can glean from. However, Scripture alone is the defining. Uh, the finding word, the the finding authority, the sole authority yeah. in the church. So we're not we're not ignorant that we're not rejecting that. We're just saying that we are this stuff is helpful, it's useful in some ways. And I think there's a there's a lot of contention there. And I think maybe again the political aspects get kind of lumped into there like, oh, if you think there's any good, then you must be open to right. all progressive liberalism and all woke culture and all this different other things. And so, therefore, that's who you've kind of uh, banded with. Mm-hmm. And so we are, as conservatives, against all of that. Yeah. Therefore, you were against you. And it's like, come on. Like, that's that's an unfortunate thing. Right. So. 
Uh, anything else that we want to talk about? <laughs> I feel like we've kind of like nailed this into the coffin. Yeah, it's good. And it's pretty good. Um, but uh, so this actually, I'm off. I will be in California for a little bit. Yeah. And uh, so we want to make sure we got this in before I was gone. But yep. we'll be on hiatus for a few weeks. And I guess we'll be back. Hopefully we'll have, what, two weeks of stuff happening, content that we can hopefully get to and review and discuss once I get back. Yep, absolutely. So, Sounds great. Uh, all right, so this has been Empires of the Future. And we will see you in the future. All right. I never listened the way that I should. Right